Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show, and we are live on site at Frank's and Takapuna. Um, no sponsorship, unfortunately, today, but that's <laughs> something we need to work on. Um, something we won't need to work on is filling the space for the next hour or so, because uh, I'm here with my new friend, Fliss. And uh, she and I have been talking about one of our favorite topics over the last little while, which is mental health. And how do we make a positive difference in that? Yeah. And I could risk filling the air, but the thing is, Fliss has got a really cool story and an even cooler initiative that's coming up that we are going to talk about that you really want to be paying attention to. So, at the risk of overselling it, welcome to the Andrew Curtis Show, Fliss. Thank you for having me. I'm loving it already. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, to begin with, yeah, let's talk about this idea of of, of mental health and... Mm. um, Tell me about where your connection to this topic came from. Yeah, of course. So really it stems from being a teenager. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout my teenage years into my early 20s. And it all really stemmed from when I was 16. My nana passed away. And a lot of emotions came out at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really realized that I'd been suffering with low moods and anxiety until that moment and then how long, how long would mm. you say you would have been experiencing it up until the point that you realized then i would say about three years wow yeah so from the age of 13 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 12 13 because um like what we was talking about earlier on in terms of bullying sort of at, at school you know most children do get bullied and i did have that throughout my my school time and um it, it really, the, being 16 and having my nana pass away initiate, initiated it. And also sort of home life as well, I guess, mm. really. Mm. And so I went through sort of my my late teenage years, mm. went on to um, see a GP and got prescribed antidepressants and went through nine years of being on antidepressants. Wow. So, so that sorry, it was nine years from that. Yeah, so nine years from sixteen. Wow, nine years. And in those nine years, it wasn't until the last final year that I'd actually seeked professional help, so psychiatry really? and psychology. So, so up until that last year, mm. what were you doing? Um, I was biding time, taking pills, basically. Uh, what would be the word sort of um, subduing really? I guess would okay. su- subduing yeah sure all my emotions and being and knowing that I was suffering from depression anxiety mm. but not doing anything about it because I thought that would be that that's the only way and that's who I am wow. and then did anybody else in your family at the time have any idea how much you were struggling with that or did you mm. hide it from them I hid a lot of it. Yeah. I the amount of times that I'd be on the other side of my bedroom door crying my eyes out with my mum and dad in the house mm. knowing that I was on the other side of the door crying but they didn't know what to do. Wow. Or how to help me. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, family did know that I suffered from depression, anxiety. Yeah. But because it wasn't ever talked about, I felt I couldn't talk about it. Yeah. And with lack of friends, really talking about depression, anxiety, didn't quite know what way to turn. And then into 
you know, into a relationship where this person didn't really believe in depression, anxiety. So then again, I couldn't really talk to him about it as such. But can we touch on that for a second? Because mm. I think that's a really that's that's quite an interesting point, and I've experienced some um, and, and my interactions with people as well yeah. about that. So when you say they don't believe in it. What was that experience like for you? Can mm. you tell me how that was communicated? Yeah, I guess it made me feel like I was a psycho. So what was the what was the things that, that mm. this person would say to you that led you to believe they didn't believe depression oh, was a thing? Oh, okay, yeah, like... okay. It was more so um, that I was being stupid. Wow. And um, that it's, it's a psychological thing in terms of you you believe it's depression and depression doesn't exist and mm-hmm. I think it was more so because he'd never suffered from sure. depression or anxiety or maybe he had done but he didn't mm. want to actually confess to himself that right. he suffered with right. those emotions Yeah. Um, and it was very much like um, he would if I brought these things up he'd push it to one side sure and just say, you know, I'll get over it kind of thing. Right. How, how are you meant to get over yeah. this black hole when this black <laughs> hole is there? You know, it's, it yeah. seems funny to giggle about it, but yeah. how when somebody says to you, I'll get over it, how on earth can you just get over it? It's not this thing that you can get over in one night. Mm. It's not. It's, it takes years. It took me a really long time to get over it. It took me to have psychiatry psychology Mm. it took me to actually leave my home country and go traveling Mm. um it took me a long time to get over it and you know to this day i say you know i'm depression free um i i'm antidepressant free as well i still have anxiety from time to time Mm. i still have dips where i think oh is this a little bit of depression coming up again sure is that little devil on my shoulder appearing again but I'm so much more aware of it since not being on antidepressants. Yeah. And going through psychi- psychiatry and psychology because they teach you an awful lot about how to deal with your emotions and register what you're thinking. Mm. So much to unpack in that. So mm. I'm kind of like trying to decide which one I want to I go know. to. <laughs> I'm trying to rein it all in. How do you explain nine years of being yeah. depressed and on antidepressants? And how do you explain your teenage years and yeah. your young 20-year-old, your young 20s, mm. going through that? Because the thing is, we, I think, a number of teenagers, a number of young adolescents suffer from depression, anxiety, mm. and I'm going to chuck it out there, suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And how, how do you, you know express all of that when you've gone through all of that in yeah. in short detail mm. there's so much more to talk about <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's that's why we need to be talking about mm. this stuff i mean even independent of this idea about mental health yeah i thought that an insight that i had that has really helped me was when you're thinking about a difficult topic mm-hmm. what makes it a topic difficult to talk about and the thing that i realized was that in terms of what makes a topic difficult, I do. Yeah. <laughs> right? Mm. Because when we have never had these conversations and we're threatened by them, um, and in some ways, you know, I feel for 
uh, you know, even that, that previous partner of yours because you yeah. can understand how people freak out. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I mean, for my, my experience of, of depression was more um, observed within my family and seeing other people trying to help um, the one who was suffering yeah. in the same way because you yeah. think, oh, well, it's, it's just silly. It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Yeah. And it's almost like you're, you're well, what are you expecting that mm. person to do? Go, oh, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> I, I just stop it. Oh boy, is my face red. Oh gosh, guys, I've been, I've been clinically depressed for 10 years, but I just thought I could stop it. And so I did. Yeah, definitely. It's, and I think also, um, it's, I should say, sorry, I feel to say at this point, mm. it's important for people to know too that you actually, you did work through that. Yes. Though, and that is important for people to understand. So I'm not, yeah, I don't want to detract completely. from that. But just recognizing that in the moment, that's kind of what we're dealing with. So mm. anyway, sorry, you were saying. No, that's fine. Now I'm just, I literally, you just said something and it struck a chord with me. And now <laughs> I've gone, oh God, what was it? <laughs> but I guess really it's um, when it, when you're going through depressive modes and all of this, it's, it's really hard to actually accept you're in that moment. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Because you're aware that you're not happy. Mm -hmm. You're aware of that. Mm. Um, but it's how do I get myself out of this? Yeah. How do I... Um, stop these emotions mm. how do I stop feeling like this how do I um, th there's a lot of hows and whys why is another big thing okay Tell why me, me? yeah you know I initially it was wh why me why is my nana being taken away from me mm. um, and it's it's mm. takes an awful lot of um courage to actually reach out for help yeah um and yet that's one of the first amazing moments for me was reaching out for help because you mentioned that you'd, you'd struggle with it for a long while but mm. perhaps a, a positive note on that was that you said in terms of though the moment between when you actually reached out for help mm. and then when you felt like you had um I don't know what the term is to use, but overcome depression, yeah. perhaps. Mm. That was relatively, and I say this mm -hmm. in air quotes, you never get to do air quotes on the I'm doing <laughs> air, air quotes. quotes. Okay, so when I do air quotes, <laughs> I need like a sound effect. I've had this discussion before, by the way. I'm like a big gest <laughs> gesture kind of talker. So I just, anyway. Um, the point being, you know, the amount of time that you'd suffered with depression mm. up until when you asked for help, and then mm. the amount of time it took from when you asked to help to when you overcame depression, mm was relatively quite short it was yeah what, what was the time on there like a year or two you said um yeah i would say um a, a year wow a year wow and this is after mm. struggling with depression for eight years yeah and then a year mm. after mm. you asked for help yeah i seeked um help from my from my gp <laughs> when i was a teenager and in my early 20s <laughs> and i just kept on being um having a my dose of antidepressant would be increased or it would be having to fill in this questionnaire um, scoring myself one out of five mm -hmm. the doctor would give me and then they'd determine you know what to go on to next or do we need to change antidepressants or whatever so I was kind of already you know going to my GP repeatedly mm. 
but nothing would progress and it over a period of time gradually progressed to counselling mm-hmm. but then there's a massive waiting list back in the UK on the NHS and you know we're, we're so lucky to have the NHS but when it came to actually being in that position of suffering from depression, anxiety and suicidal thoughts um, you know I had to wait four months to mm. see a counsellor and mm. anything could have happened in those four months Sure. anything and it, it even it got to the point I remember I um, got a counsellor over the phone but I had to call from my parents landline and sit in their bedroom but I was so conscious I couldn't open up yeah. and talk to this counsellor on the phone <laughs> because my parents were downstairs yeah well, what if, what if they overheard me? I don't want my mum and dad to hear me say that I want to kill myself or, yeah. or anything like this, or I don't want to live, I don't want to die, or I want to drive into a, a lorry. or You know, all of these thoughts. Sure. How could I physically say this down the line to a counsellor mm. when my mum and dad are downstairs? What did you think that would do to them if they heard you? Oh, it would break their heart. Yeah. 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 Break their heart. And I think it still does to this day, Yeah. knowing that I've... I've gone through all of that mm-hmm. and with them knowing that um, that I had those emotions mm. yeah and I think they blame themselves an awful lot yeah I think they do and and I think a lot of parents potentially feel like that when they've got a teenager or, or you know children and and their children are suffering from um, a mental illness and it's you know, it could be any form of mental illness. It comes mm. in all forms. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, although I was reaching out for that help, around about the late teens and early 20s, it wasn't right. It, it wasn't working for me. Tell me about that. You use the word it wasn't right. What does mm. that mean? Um, so that over the telephone counselling yeah. wasn't right for me because right. I needed to actually... Um, be one-on-one with right. somebody. Okay. Um, Counselors back then, when I needed that support, were not qualified enough. Okay. In Tell terms of, that. well, I guess really, um, when I look at the the difference between when I was having counselling and when I was having psychiatry and psychology, mm. the counselors could only really sort of. Um, guide me and but listen to me more so okay um, and you know there is only a certain amount of qualifications that counsellors have and there's only so much help and support they can give mm. to a client of theirs mm. and I guess I was just at this point where a counsellor was not enough for me sure um, and then it kind of got to that eight-year mark, and um, that was when um, sort of the the relationship where you know this man in my life didn't believe in depression. Mm. It got to that point, um, and I was I was lucky enough to have um, healthcare mm. with okay. one of my previous jobs back in the oh, UK, okay. yeah. and that was my tipping point. Yeah, because I had instant access two professionals right to a psychiatrist and to a psychologist right and there was no time frame yeah, because it okay. was under the private mm. health mm. side of things so tell me about then the moment mm. that you decided that you were going to 
take that next level of, of action then. Mm. Was that a moment that you'd always wanted to take and hadn't been able to? Or did you suddenly just go, oh my gosh, I can finally get mm. a better level of, of care and mm. support? Mm. What, what was behind that? Number one, it was the fact that I had the, the psychiatry and psychology available to me. Right, yeah. Um, and I didn't need to worry about money. Mm-hmm. But also, I it had got to the point where I'd literally I'd had enough of this beast that was mm. this this black hole that had been with me for so long. Sure, it just I'd got to the I'd got to the very very end, and I was like, how many more times can I have these suicidal thoughts? Mm. I'm I'm not I've not physically ever took action. Mm. I've never right. took action towards yeah. trying to end my life. I've yeah. never cut myself I've never tried drown myself or anything like that like it, but it was always this thought and I didn't want to have these thoughts anymore wow. because I actually knew that there's a better life mm. there's a better way of living how there's got to that? be how did you know that I think it all came down to the fact that I've had to put on a very brave front in front of clients for so long okay being a hairstylist you have to go in you've got to put on that brave face and be sure. that happy bunny which you know a lot of people say to me what you depressed no I can't ever imagine you being depressed but you're such a happy person right <laughs> and right. I'm like yes that's yes, why I they am. call it manic depression yeah you know <laughs> yeah yes I am a happy person and I guess because I've got this mm. um bubbly personality mm. I just knew that this demon inside me was fighting against this happy person mm, whereas if i i feel like if i was maybe let's say a um an, an intro an introvert sure um things would have been potentially different mm. but because i'm an extrovert and i love socializing and chatting that's what kept me going all this mm. time mm. um so yeah i want to ask you a question mm. and you can tell me where you know if the, this is kind of heading the right direction but something that I, I think is very common for people who have suffered from mental illness and in mm. my observation as well is that you mentioned you know to come back to that relationship thing mm-hmm. again but I think there's something really powerful in that and I'd love to know from your perspective what is it you think you were looking for in that relationship that drew, drew you to somebody who didn't mm. believe in depression at all mm. um, that's very interesting um he was quite a powerful person. Uh-huh. And... Did you feel very powerful yourself? Before no. Then? Yeah. Well, before I got with him, I felt quite powerful. Okay. Um, our personalities were very alike, so we both loved being loud and centre of attention mm. and liked to make people laugh. Mm. So, at first, I felt like our personalities complemented each other. Mm. But I did see him as a very powerful person. Mm. What I didn't realise that he was an actually manipulative person. Right. Until obviously we got into the relationship and further down the line, mm-hmm. it went from there. Um, and yeah, so I guess say that question again because <laughs> that's that's a tough one. What what is it you think you were looking mm. for then in that relationship that caused you to be with somebody who didn't believe mm-hmm. in depression? Yeah. Right. So I saw he could look after me. Wow. Yeah. I saw he's a powerful, strong man. Mm. He can protect me. Mm. Okay. And at the very beginning of our relationship, 
um, I didn't realise his views on depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you just see this person and you're, you know, let's, I was besotted with this person, absolutely mm. besotted with him. And, you know, you don't think about asking or talking about mental health with somebody. Sure, sure. Whereas now, I am so open about it. Yeah. The first thing I, you know, talk about when I meet new people, because it's a, a it's, you know, it's deep in my stomach, it's a passion of mine. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't have any concerns about talking about mental illnesses or mental health. Yeah. You know, whether it be good mental health or bad mental health, it's something that we all experience. And I'm no longer uh, ashamed of it. Mm. And I guess over the last few years, I've really learned actually talking is the biggest and best thing. Yeah. Open, honest communication. Mm. right and Mm. if you can't start a relationship whether that be with a new friend um, your parents a new relationship in terms of an intimate relationship whether it be a a colleague relationship if you can't begin and base your relationship around open honest communication initially Mm. how is that meant to blossom and evolve so what I've learned over the last few years is that's what I need to do with everybody that I come in contact with and it's a value of mine now it's it's definitely everybody that I come in contact with I'm open, honest and I communicate with them I talk to them mm. even if it means that that person might slightly get offended or slightly get hurt or mm. a bit disheartened by what I say or what I feel or what I think or my opinion I know that I'm being true to myself and I would want them to do the same to me. I would want them to have that open, honest communication back to me. Whether or not I get upset, offended or hurt by what their opinion or thoughts or emotions are. And so that's where I've kind of got to. I love that. You know? What what shows up for me when I hear that is the, is the shift in perspective from when you were that know crying Mm. teenage girl Mm. where you said oh no I'm going to take responsibility for how somebody else feels I'm not going to tell them that I'm sad because then they'll be sad yeah and realizing that and this is something even personally Mm. that in in my own situation I did the same where I took responsibility for how other people felt yeah and so my response was a bit different where it was more the more I understand about psychology and, and yeah. people's behavior, then I can manage the situation so other people will never get upset. Yeah. And you learn that, in fact, you cannot do that. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't control however people are going to re- react or, or mm. feel. But also that if people get sad, that's also not a bad thing either. No. I'd, I'd love to hear from you on that front mm. as well, because even outside of this conversation, we've talked about mm. that. Learning how now to see moments of sadness as just that Mm. and not kind of anything more can you speak more to that yeah so um i think when it comes to the difference between feeling sad and um being depressed i feel that i mean number one the big thing is that i'm no longer on antidepressants so i can actually feel what i'm actually feeling tell me yeah th- mm-hmm. i think that's important to mm-hmm. get into them for a moment because mm. tell me about the experience of being on antidepressants yeah 
You feel very numb. Uh-huh. Um, you cry, but you don't know what you're crying for. So it's very confusing. Okay. Um, and... So what, it just happens spontaneously? Yeah, or? it can happen whenever, throughout okay. the day. Yeah. For me personally, yeah, like it's, sure. it's different for everybody. Yeah. Um, but it was very much that I would be crying for a reason I had no idea what for. Mm. I feel numb. I would obviously I've said that before. Mm. Um, I literally just all my emotions were being suppressed and pushed underground. Mm. And I felt I had no um, reason to be crying. Mm. And so then I'd get angry with myself. Okay. And um, be yeah, confusion would be a very big thing. So how do you feel about the use of medication for Mm. for depression now? Like, what's Mm -hmm. your your feeling about that? Because that sounds quite a conflicted. Very much so. Approach. I personally feel that prescribed antidepressants should not be given to a patient unless it's being given by a psychiatrist or psychologist. Mm. I don't believe GPs should give these um, prescriptions out. I would love to see at some point in the future um, a talking prescription. Tell me about that. I would love a GP. It would be amazing if we could have the facilities, not facilities, the in an, enough counsellors yeah. as, as such or psychiatrists, psychologists to help people mm. and to talk so it would be a prescription where um, a GP gives out a prescription and it's just a talking prescription it's like okay you need to talk before we decide whether you go and take right. any right. any medication mm. for this you need to be referred on to a specialist that can assess you sure and talk things through mm. and I, I don't feel like doctors and GPs are um, qualified enough to mm. hand out this drug that's really quite dangerous I yeah. believe I, I it's say, addictive yeah and it's I addictive. should say by the way for people listening I'm not well enough versed to know the situation in New Zealand in terms of how mm. that system works but I think if I'm hearing you rightly mm-hmm. too what you're saying is more just that that ability to talk and converse mm. is so much more powerful than just the medicated completely. solution completely and going back to the psychiatry and psychology that I had um, it wasn't until I had psychiatry psychology that's when I really begun to, begun to overcome depression, anxiety and suicidal thoughts yeah. because I was talking to professionals that knew what they were dealing with they knew how mm. to deal with me they knew what questions to ask they knew how to make me rethink things. And admittedly, when I was going through this stage of psychiatry and psychology, my antidepressants had to increase okay. because of what I was discussing was right. really tough to discuss. And Did you have... Mm. I'm just going to go there. Go for did, it. Did you have any other challenges with drugs at that time? Um, I had challenges with drugs prior to psychiatry and psychology so yeah. I'd 
Um, I previously smoked weed and I took cocaine as well uh-huh. in that relationship yeah. that I was talking to you about. Sure. Um, but I was taking those drugs whilst being on antidepressants. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that doesn't work. Totally doesn't work. <laughs> it instigates even more paranoia. It yeah. instigates even more anxiety and so on. Mm. Um, but the, yeah. The reason I ask is mm. um, there's a book that I'd recommend everybody to, to have a read of, but it's by a guy called Johan, Johan Hari. Mm-hmm. It's called Chasing the Scream. And it talks about just how the development of the drug war, mm. again, air quotes, people, drug <laughs> war, um, has, has unfolded. And his main finding there of saying, look, if we, if we saw drug use as a health issue mm-hmm. and not a criminal issue, yes, we yeah. would help people a lot more. And, mm. you know, when you're telling me these stories, now whenever I hear a story of somebody who has a drug problem, I think not so much why the addiction, but why the pain. Yeah. There's, there's yeah, underlining causes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's exactly what the psychiatrist and psychologist did, is they mm. dug to the core of me and they helped me understand what all the underlying causes were. Yeah. And if I'd had that help and support mm. when I was 16, mm. I wouldn't have got to where I'd got. Do you remember any of the, like the, kind of the key moments for you then mm. in terms of either questions they asked or things that made a big difference for you to be honest it sounds very bizarre but when i think about my psychiatry psychology i don't actually remember an awful lot of it right in terms of what they was asking me Mm -hmm. um the one thing that really stands out for me is actually um so i used to um pluck my eyelashes Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. one at a time as a as a coping mechanism yeah i've heard of that um and it's a very long um, pronunciation of the word that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I can't pronounce it um, and one of my main moments so I, I mean I um, suffered an awful lot with self um, self love and self esteem I had very low self esteem uh-huh. and I hated the way that I looked I hated I hated a lot about me sure. back then and one of the main things that really helped me when I had my psychology was my psychologist got me to get a mirror and literally put it right in front of my face right. and look at myself. And then I'd have to say to her, what was I noticing? What didn't I like? What did I like? And which eyelash would I want to pluck out? And all of these things. And that, for me, is probably the only thing that I can really, yeah. really remember. And it's okay. in a strange way. It's actually almost become a blur mm. having my therapy. Mm. Because it was so intense. Mm. Um, I would say one thing would be, so they took me back to to childhood. Uh And that's where a lot of depression, anxiety and and mental illnesses can stem from. Sure. Is is your childhood, how you're brought up. And I'm not not saying that my parents were bad parents because in no way were they bad parents at all. They brought me up. They they taught Mm. me, you know, to take off my shoes when I go into someone's house. They taught Mm. me to help clean up the dishes when you're around someone's house they're (laughs) not bad parents at all and I love them dearly but um, you know a lot of my underlining causes were from from a childhood and that was also coming from being bullied Mm. as as a young child Mm. Um, so they really dug deep Mm. Um, but in terms of questions and things I really can't it just becomes a blur because I guess I'm now four years on Mm. Um, from from that 
Yeah. And so much has happened since then. And and if anything, you know, when I said to you earlier on, like I knew that there's something better. I knew I could be happy. Yeah. And now it's like this is where I mean. <laughs> this is what I was thinking about all those years ago. Um. So, yeah, I think it definitely comes down to having that professional help. Yeah. And if I'd had that initially, and and that that would be amazing if we could have a talking prescription. Mm, you know. I like that. A talking prescription. <laughs> a talking that prescription. Really good. Yeah. So then, for you, let's let's move on to the the, the last few years of your life yeah. then as well, because <laughs> that's been, I think, incredible. Mm. Because you you took this experience and you decided that mm. you were going to do something with it. Yes. And so, tell me about the last couple of years in particular. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, I mentioned earlier on that I obviously went traveling mm-hmm. after my psychiatry and psychology, and that's what really helped me again mm. carry on overcoming depression, anxiety. Yeah. And um, over the last couple of years, I got involved with a few events. Uh huh. Um, and it was something that I wasn't to be expected to do Uh but I visited back home for um, from Australia Mm -hmm. and basically I met up with my um, post landlady Mm -hmm. um, slash post mentor when I was traveling in Australia and we caught up and she was so excited to tell me about this women work event that she was creating and mm-hmm. she wanted me to be part of it mm-hmm. and from all of that after talking to her and um, Tracy and a few other ladies it came out that I would actually speak at this event about overcoming depression seeking professional help and self help tips and so that's what I did so that was March um, two, that was March last year yeah, God, time flies. So March last year, I, I spoke at Women Work. And then from that, I had another lady, Becky, who contacted me and said, I've, I've heard you is great and you, you kind of talk on the mental health side of things. Um, would love to know a little bit more about that. And then I sat down with Becky and we got onto the conversations about parents' relationships with the children and it kind of got to the point where it was right let's um let's talk about what it was like being a child with depression anxiety Mm. so i I did a talk called from a child's perspective Mm -hmm. and then i've got myself onto the other side of the world here in new zealand Mm -hmm. auckland Mm -hmm. and um i moved i decided to move away from hairdressing Mm and change direction still within the hair industry but over to barbering mm-hmm. so now i'm working in line with men uh-huh. um which has now become more predominant of um a passion of mine uh-huh. and now it's over the last few months it's just been incredible in terms of meeting amazing people and coming up with an idea yeah um, so this idea has basically stemmed from me being shown a video, hashtag rocking 1000, which um, if any of you, if any of you haven't seen it, you need to Google it. Go on YouTube, type in hashtag rocking without the G, 1000. And um, 
And um, it's basically, cut a long story short, it's a guy who's Italian and he loves the Foo Fighters. He gets 1,000 people from across the... Um, from across Italy mm-hmm. and gets them all into his hometown, sings Learn to Fly. Yeah. And um, and they, they record it. And at the end of it, basically this guy invites the Foo Fighters to play in his hometown. And it was just watching this video. I can't even explain, Andrew. Just, I've said to you before, haven't I? That yeah. it just... It made me cry. <laughs> it made me cry so much. And my friend was showing it to me and I just literally was saying to Till, I was like, I don't know why I'm crying, but this is just amazing. And, and it got me thinking and I was like, imagine what it would feel like to be part of of that 1,000 people. Mm. And the energy around it and I had goose pimples and everything and then soon after that I was at my friend's um, community studio called Move Studio in Mount Eden and there's an evening where we watched TED Talks mm-hmm. and um, basically what happens is we watch TED Talks and then we talk about it mm-hmm. and one particular TED Talk we watched was how to start a movement have right. you seen it? Yes, I have. Right, okay. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know what it is, it's this um, three-minute video where a guy commentates about this one guy that starts dancing in a field and he's by himself wriggling away. And then this other dude comes up and starts wriggling away with him. And then before you know it, within three minutes, he's got this whole crowd up in the field dancing away. And I was like, damn, yes. It's like, you know, it doesn't take one person to do something. Like, Mm. you actually need people Mm. to help you create a movement and get something going. And by watching these two things, I... and, And going back to sort of mental health and now having a passion for... Um, sort of men's mental health and well-being I've come up with this idea to basically get 1,000 barbers together to cut um, so to, to cut hair for 1,000 men um, and, and shave their beards so it's all very new and exciting um, and I've managed to get in contact with um, some some barbers out there already mm-hmm um, so I've already spoken to a guy called Sam, um, who is known as Barter Barber, mm-hmm. and he's game in on this 1,000 barbers and 1,000 men, mm-hmm. and also... And what, is, what does he do mm, as the, the mm, Barter Barber? Yes. Tell me just a bit about that. Quickly. Okay, so um, Sam is going around New Zealand, mm-hmm. and um, he is basically opening up the conversation around suicide amongst wow. men in New Zealand yeah. and um, he is taking his time out mm-hmm. to just listen and talk to men and see what they um, what their thoughts are on on you know men being men and how important is it to actually be open and honest and talk about our emotions because this was a huge thing as well about why mm. you wanted to do this thing with mm. you know a thousand men cutting uh, a thousand barbers cutting a thousand men's hair yeah. right? was this 
a particular focus on the the dialogue that mm. can happen there and an encouragement around how do we handle it when yeah. somebody shares the real stuff of yeah. life mm-hmm. mm. yeah it was i guess really you know being um being a barber or, or even a hairdresser for that matter sure we hear so many things <laughs> we hear and not only here we can sense yeah and we can pick up on if a client isn't quite right mm. um i think that's really powerful mm. sorry to jump in on that mm. point but i just feel like that was a thing that i i realized as well was that i used to have this picture of there are those people who were intuitive and picked that kind of stuff mm-hmm. up and, and those who weren't and what I started to realize what it was, it was really more just a matter of there are those people who when they see that and experience that, mm. they turn towards it mm. and other people turn away from it. But I think we all, I feel like we all see that. Yeah. It's like that moment when you talk to somebody, you go, hey, how are you? And they go, oh, good, thanks. And you go, you're yeah. not good. Mm. You're not good at all. Mm. But if we don't know how to have that conversation, yeah. then it's easier for us to say... Mm. I mean, I remember thinking previously too when these sorts of things intimidated me that I didn't want to be overwhelmed by their negative feelings. So yeah. I thought, oh, it's best I just don't talk about it at all. Yeah, yeah. So all to say, this discussion around that and, mm. the, and the things, responding to the things that we pick up from people yeah. is amazing. <laughs> it is. And it's so, it's so simple to ask oh hi how are you yeah I'm good thanks how are you yeah I'm good and before you know it you've passed each other's paths mm. you know and we don't give time we don't we don't give time to people and actually just you know specifically make a conscious effort to stop and say oh mm. hi Andrew how are you today mm. you know and actually pause mm. and wait for them to respond without kind of continuing to walk past mm. Because you, by walking past, the world, it, it's become just a normal thing now, isn't it? Mm. It's not a meaningful question anymore, I don't feel. I can't tell you how many more meaningful conversations I've had with the follow-up to that when I say to people, mm. oh, how are you in there? I'm great, thanks. And I go, are you really, though? Yeah. You wouldn't believe... Mm. Well, I mean, you would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You would. <laughs> but but the, the next level of... It's, it's almost like you get a double take from people. Completely. And you go, are, you, are, you, are you actually asking me how I feel? Yeah. You really what yeah, and then definitely. you just completely and and as soon as somebody you know actually shows that they care mm. and shows that they're acknowledging that something's not quite right you'll be mm. surprised at how many people begin to open it up and it might just be as simple as oh do you know what my husband came home last night and he was in a foul mood and it it really upset me because he he snapped at me Mm. It might be as simple as that, for instance, right? Mm. Mm. But they've not had a chance to get that out of their system. And these little things over a period of time build up and build Mm. up and build up, which that can then lead to more of um, an intense, um, you know, unhappiness as such. One of the things that I've learned that's helped me a lot is that you don't get anywhere by denying an emotion Mm -mm. exists. Mm -mm. Yet I think that's what our default mode is. Perhaps that's a um, New Zealand or a, you know English European yeah. kind of way of dealing with stuff. But mm. we go well. We'll just pretend it's not there. Completely brush or, under the carpet. Or I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel that mm, way. Mm. And it perpetuates it. Yeah. And yet I have found that the quickest journey through that is to acknowledge that that feeling's there. And look, yeah, it is just a feeling, but it's there. 
yet as soon as you're prepared to say yeah I'm, I'm feeling a bit yeah. down mm. yeah and it's it's the admitting bit actually yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely the admitting bit and it's a bit like me um, kind of going back to my 1,000 barbers and 1,000 yeah. men. Yeah. Um, there's a barber over in the UK. Tom Chapman is his name. Mm-hmm. And he's created the Lions Barber Collective. Mm-hmm. And um, he um, actually was with a client a few years ago. And Tom took some time out for this client. And... Um, this client and it's actually I believe it's a video on YouTube actually okay um, and this client said if Tom hadn't have took his time out you know to talk to me and things that day I was on the verge of committing suicide mm. and I think that may potentially mean again quote me if I'm wrong Tom but um, it may have been really a starting point for him to really begin getting sure. involved with men's mental health and their well-being sure and creating a safe space for them and making men feel um, it's okay to talk, to open up, to be vulnerable. That's Being vulnerable, I think it's, it's a really big word. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. because men are so um, caught up in this hype to be a man, right. do not show emotions, yeah. must work hard and must be strong. And... Can I tell you the insight I had around vulnerability? Because yeah. when you told me that, it, it took me back and I laugh at myself now. But I remember being, um, I was fortunate enough to be on a workshop where um, these kind of topics were being discussed and this idea of vulnerability. And I had this this insight, this moment where I just knew, you know when you just know something on yeah. a deep level? And it just went through my mind. It's like, I hate vulnerability. That went through my head mm. and, I, and I saw it. And once I saw it, I thought, oh, I can't pretend that's not there. I said, yeah. and, I, and I said to you, and I said, I just realized I hate it. It's not even that I don't, that I hated it. And um, just realizing how much that had impacted my ability to share things with people. Mm. Um, I mean, I genuinely don't think this podcast would have happened if I still had that thinking. Yeah. And I came home, and for those of you who know it, it's quite um, infamous is the wrong word. Famous is maybe good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you might not. So Brene Brown oh, yeah. uh, has a TED yes. talk on the topic of vulnerability, which mm-hmm. is one of the most viewed. It's upwards of 10 million. Yeah. It's probably closer to 20 by now. It's amazing. And I, I remember coming home after having this this insight around vulnerability. And I came home and I sat in front of my laptop. And I I don't know. I, I can't even remember how it came up. I might have Googled it. I probably did. I don't know. And there was this video. And I remember sitting there and my finger felt like it weighed a million tons. Mm. And I was just like, am I going to press play? Oh. Am I going to press play? And I did. And it was like, just everything about that moment, I remember so clearly because of everything I held on to before that that said, no, mm-hmm. don't be vulnerable. To the point where, and this is the other thing I realized, I used to attack vulnerability when I saw it in other people. Yeah. Because I realized it made me so uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that is incredibly common. Mm. Um, in fact, the, the most honest thing I can say is that I just knew that that was a deep belief that I had. Yeah. That it was something that needed to be attacked, that mm. it can't be allowed to Overtake. get any airtime. Mm. So when I hear you say those kind of things, yeah. I can only say from my own experience how true uh, and how resonant those ideas yeah. are. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I think, you know, it's what I mean, take 
take you back to I should have when we was talking about two you know mm. the past two years actually I should have took you back to actually initially two years ago I ran um, half a marathon okay for um, the charity back in the UK called CALM which stands for Campaign Against Living Miserably which uh-huh, is a right. charity yep. designed for men's mental health and well-being and also to support families and loved ones who'd actually either unfortunately lost a brother mm. father uncle to suicide mm. so I ran my half a marathon for them and um, you know kind of from that I guess I, I look back and like wow like two years ago I was on this case and and within this I, I did a bit of a video to say hey guys you know I'm going to be running half a marathon and I'm running it for this charity and this is why and it, it you know was coming up with that thing of like you know we talk about in women we talk about um, sort of mood swings, menopause, um, postnatal depression, etc. Sure, right, sure. and it's so. Let's say um, I don't know whether this is the wrong thing to say, but uh, it's more acceptable okay. for women to have emotions mm. than it is men to have emotions. Sure, and I I disagree with it, and I feel you know. Let's look at um, masculinity and femininity. Wow. Right. Yeah. I'm a female, but I have masculine traits in me. Right. You're a male, but you have feminine tra- traits in you. And I kind of almost feel like men have kind of been pushed to one side. And I feel like it's about time that we actually give our love and um, gratitude towards men. They do so much for us women. And, or, you know, in general, um, it frustrates me that men feel that they have to be tough that they can't talk about their emotions and that they've got to be you know the breadwinner and be the ones to rake in the money because I mean things have moved on from there you know now it is it's women also going out earning the money and some even men sometimes even stay at home for the kids right but where is the outlet for men and I do I really do feel that it is starting to bubble. The, the the surface is bubbling around men's mental health, and um, you know I've I've not personally um, experienced losing uh, a male loved one through suicide. Um, I know that my brother suffered from depression, anxiety. My dad suffered with depression. Um, he's a very you know in terms of my dad, he's definitely somebody to look at and me go yeah you know he's somebody that's buried his head in the mm. sand. Mm. Um, and he's even said to me he's felt that he couldn't talk about it you know he he couldn't talk about it because he had to be strong he was the dad and Mm. you know he and it's you know I can't really talk for dad on that side of things but I just feel that we need to bring it to light and I'm I'm loving using the word illuminating Mm. men's mental health and well-being at the moment you know I want to shine a light on it yeah. Because it's something we need to talk about. It's something that um, needs to come to light. And I, I find it quite funny because I'm a female, you know, wanting to represent men's mental health. Sure. And um, because I, we're we're even, we're, mm. we're we're equal, you know, men and female, we're no better than each other. Um. So yeah. So in the in the few moments we have left, we've mm. eaten fifty two minutes. 
Like that's it really good. Like what even the thing? <laughs> so in the, in the bit of time we've got left, yes. in, you particularly were talking about this this campaign to get yes. a thousand barbers, barbers together and a yep. thousand men together um, as a a moment to mm-hmm. really have this conversation mm-hmm. and bro- bring attention mm-hmm. to it. So. Yes what's next like what do you need like if somebody's listening to this oh, as well and God, yes. you know being aware that this is going to be an evolving thing for you over the next little while yes um as we wait for the street sweeper guy to go past um yeah what do you need what do you want okay if people want to be involved what are they okay, going to do okay so um i am reaching out to gain 999 barbers one down, nine hundred ninety-nine. One down. To go. Well, to be honest, like so, I've got myself. I've got Barter Barber Sam. I've yeah. got Tom Chapman from the UK on board. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got hopefully a, a few um, friends that would be willing to be on board. So mm-hmm. I'm basically on the search for pretty much over nine hundred barbers, uh-huh. yeah. um, mainly in in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for barbers from you know Australia, the UK, America, yeah. elsewhere. If you if you want to join in, um, and I'm after after 1,000 men who are willing to uh, participate in this project mm-hmm. um, to sit down in the barber chair mm-hmm. and be open and honest and communicate us about emotions and you know what what are their views on being vulnerable yeah. what are their views of being tough mm. um, and everything um so yeah i guess i am calling out for um over 900 barbers 1000 men willing to sit there and be open and honest um i'm on a bit of a roll already um i'm also in touch with a guy called sam o'sullivan Mm -hmm. who has created the documentary tough talk Mm -hmm. um he's in new zealand um and he's already on the discussion of you know talking about depression and and what what is it to be tough mm. as a man you know what does that mean to you as a man mm. um so he's on board with it which is fantastic he's going to get involved um so i'm basically just reaching out for people that can help me get this event up and running um i'll be looking for sponsorships as well through yeah. other to, through companies i'll be looking for volunteers to help on the day to um you know basically and help it be created because yeah. I can't do this on my own I <laughs> yeah. really can't I'm going to yeah. need lots of people to help back me up To pe- I want people that are going to really kind of get involved and believe in my vision that yeah. I'm wanting to create mm. um, a lot more you know this is only at the very beginning Andrew isn't it you yeah. know I've only been talking yeah. about this for the last sort of couple of weeks um, so I need to really rein in on sure. on that so how does somebody mm. get in touch with you? So you can get in touch with me um, at the moment on Facebook under Felicity Downs um, or even my email address, which is Rucksack Discoveries with mm-hmm. an I-E-S yep. on the end at gmail.com. I'm going to put, by mm. the way, these contact um, links mm, and such in the description for this episode as well. So um, if you're wondering about those, you can come to the Andrew Curtis Show um, sorry, facebook.com slash the Andrew Curtis show or whatever you should be able to find on the iTunes as well or on SoundCloud. The descriptions will have these contact addresses for you. And from my part, whether you just need me to get my hair cut or any other kind of um, involvement, um, my hand is up for this. So whatever awesome. you need. All right. Thank you so much, darling. <laughs> so that is Fliss Downs, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show for today. And again, just the fact that this is the 
I wouldn't even say the beginnings. I think there's been a little bit of momentum and there's yeah. been some people who have had the courage to start having this conversation about mental health, particularly for men. Um, but I do hope you find your own little way to get involved. You maybe have that courageous conversation. And um, I look forward to having you join me again for the show next week. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. I'm